Christmas is going to be emotional. It's going to be emotional. Totes emotion. That's what they say, isn't it? How cringe is that for my kids? How, how bad a moment is that? Totes emotion. It's, it's Chris. Yeah, it's funny. Christmas is that day, isn't it, where it can take you to the extremes of your emotional capacity. It can take you to like the most excited, most awesome place you've ever been. And you can really feel the pinch. Yeah, kids, I've got to tell you, I'm 40 now, right? I've had some good stuff happened in my life. There's been some highlights, but I'm not sure. See, tomorrow night, I'm not sure if there's a more exciting, genuinely, if you're between the age of about six to about eight or nine, I'm not sure your heart's going to be pounding. And I, I need to tell you for a second, sometime on Christmas Eve, your parents are going to come in. They're going to be all stern. They're going to be like, just go to sleep. I've got to tell you, it's not your fault that you can't sleep. Because for the last, like when did the Christmas lights come on? Like about six months ago. And there's been this just general excitement. And then we, we ask, people ask you all the time, parents would ask you, but generally people ask you all the time, what do you want? You just open the kids' minds to every, you know, what would you like for Christmas? And then we saw in the video, didn't we? It could be like a house, a bedroom, anything, you know. We, we, we do this. We leave ourselves wide open to this. Are you excited? We tell them or ask them all the time, are you excited? Are you excited? Are you excited? Then we fuel this excitement for a month with chocolate every day in the advent calendars. We add sugar to an already chaotic mix and we keep mixing it in every day. Have some more, have some more chocolate, have some more cho chocolate. We've got to build this anticipation. And then there is this mass of presents that keep arriving under the tree. But, and like you look at them and you go, these, and you must be thinking this, these are going to be awesome things. These are just going to be amazing things, but you just can't have them. You, they're separated from you by a paper. Don't touch, don't go, you get all stern, don't you, when you're a parent. Don't go near the, don't go near the, what are you playing at? Go near, don't go near the presents. The kids are just bursting with excitement. And then tomorrow, there's this hope that somebody who loves you, who cares about you, there's all these presents there now, there might well be a whole heap more presents there in the morning. And then your parents have got the cheek to say to you, after doing all that, six months of generating anticipation to look at your stern in the angle, go to sleep. What chance? Sleep's not even an option when there's that much excitement burning up. You know what I mean? There's just, there is, and Christmas is like that, isn't it? There is that high. There is total awesome excitement. This is going to be amazing. But at the same time as there's that high, and I think, I think there's only Christmas Day that captures these two things. There is, and I think you, it's, it's that day of the year where you feel, we feel it as a nation. You feel the, yeah, there's excitement and there's hope and there's presence and there's really good things happening. And at the same time, you know that somebody's having a really rubbish time somewhere. In fact, you know that lots of people are having rubbish times. And actually, that can all manif manifest itself around the Christmas table, can't it, sometimes? There's, there's joy and there's sadness. There's people not there. There's people there. There's hope. All this mix of emotion that comes together. Critical life lesson. I think this reminds us of a critical life lesson. I'm, I'm 40 soon, and I'm beginning to learn it. The way to survive in life, and I think we learn it all, the whole time, is to organize ourselves in such a way, and I think we do this the whole time, that our emotions don't cripple us. We sort of learn that there's awesome stuff. We learn that there's real highs, and we learn that there's really rubbish stuff going to happen. And we kind of put up these these strategies to cope with, with life, with all this stuff. There's a, there's a brilliant bit of verse by Rudyard Kipling, poem If, 
And I think it endures because it's like a beautiful bit of verse, but I think it endures because, because we all try and do this. So here's a, here's a snippet, maybe another poem already. If you can dream and not make dreams your master, if you can think and not make thoughts your aim, if you can meet with triumph and disaster and treat these two imposters just the same, how does the poem end? The world is yours. And what's more, you'll be a man, my son, if you can do that. It sums up this effort that we make to kind of cope with this variety of emotions. So, so we, we spend our lives sort of building strategies, these extreme emotions. And we say things like, should I fall in love with him? Should I, should I even bother to fancy somebody like that? Should I let my hopes get carried away? Should I, should I worry about this thing? Can I afford not to worry about this thing? And we spend our lives strategizing so we can cope with the extremes and the, and the emotions of life. The Christmas story, I think, takes two of these firmly fixed strategies. We, the, the, talk, the, the sermon tonight is called Hopes and Fears. I think that's ways that we cope with our emotions, hopes and fears. It takes two of these ways that we cope and it places them somewhere that we never would. So we're going to delve into the Christmas story and we're going to see the Christmas story. And this is, if it's, and I don't know where you're at with the Christmas story, if it's real for you, if believe is a word we use at Christmas, if you believe this, I think this can, I'm going to be brave and use a, like a bold word, I think this can be transformational. So we have a place where we have fears and we're like, we've worked it all out. This is the kind of things that I can allow myself to be scared of. Here's the kind of things that I can allow myself to hope in. The Christmas story, what the Christmas story does is change all that and transform us. So first one, so it's two things. It's a short sermon. It's fears first. So I'm going to ask you something. What is the, and I, want you to, I don't want you just to sit there and look at the guy talking. I want you to actually ask yourself the question. What is the thing that you're most afraid of in the world? Now get, yeah, well, brilliant. It's interact. Well, and I was, I was, yeah. I, but I think if you, yeah, and maybe it is, maybe it is, and that's a bold, yeah, good for you, sir, making that bold assertion. Um, but I think, I think, I think we say stuff like that. But I think actually, when you stop, when you have to wrestle with it, like I'm, I, I must, I'm pretty, you know, spiders are up there. I'll, I'll be honest, spiders are right up there. But this, this stuff that you know, there's, there's loneliness, there's illness, there's sadness. And there was another shout out there, I don't know what that was, but there's, there's, there's things that really can cripple us with fear. Now, there's a couple of things psychologically that we do with fears. There's a, there's a contemporary trait that we face our fears. Now, I think we face the spiders. I think there's stuff that you see them in the jungle. You face down some of our fears we face, but I, I think we don't face down that many. I think the stuff that we're really scared of, this is what I do anyway, we put it up on, on a top shelf out of the way. And, and, and try and get it and think, I just hope that none of this stuff ever comes my way. But here's the thing with fear. No matter how high the shelf is that you put it, it's a life-governing thing. No matter how far away you put it, fears are controlling things. They're governing things. The shepherds. I don't know, if, have we got any shepherds? We've got, one, we've, got one, we've got one shepherd, just one shepherd, a poor lonely shepherd. The shepherds. He's not, he's not poor, is he? All lonely. He's a happy guy. The shepherds saw, saw something this night that changed 
that changed their whole outlook on fear for the rest of their lives. It changed everything. And, and, in, and in talking about this, we've got to change a bit of a, a Christmas misconception that is out there. I think, and we've not helped tonight with a beautiful, uh, soft, you know, nativity play, but I think, I think we have this impression, don't we, of, of the Christmas story of having this kind of hazy glow. Bethlehem's got a star that shines down on it. The shepherds are cold, and the angel comes and kind of warms their socks up a little bit, and it's the, kind of this nice, gentle image. See, when you like, read, read through the Christmas story again, these, what, what did it say about these shepherds? These shepherds were terrified. That's the word that the Bible uses. These shepherds were scared to death. They were clinging to the ground. When God draws near, yes, ultimately it's warm and fuzzy and it's going to be good, but as part of this story, and you, you read through all the Christmas, read through all the nativity stories. Um, think of Zachariah, who got told that he was going to be a dad in his old age. He he couldn't speak. Mary and Joseph were scared. Read through the Old Testament. Any time that God presences himself with man, it's terror and fear. Now maybe you're in a spot. I'm telling you that God's something to be feared. Maybe you're in a spot at the moment where you're going, I've reached the point, Mr. Guy at the front, where I've stopped listening now because you've told me something I, like, that, that just that doesn't entice me to think anymore about God. You've told me I need to be afraid of God. I want to have a stab at explaining that. There's two words in the Bible that often overlap a little bit. Fear and awe. They come together. Fear and awe that, that we should think about. And I think the shepherds help explain how we should think about this too because they are sat or they're crouched in terror there and the angel comes and what does the angel say? This is good news. This is good news of great joy. You should be really happy. And the reality is, because God is there, they are terrified. What do we do with this? Here's, here's the best way I can think to explain it. I want you to imagine that you are, imagine a bunch of mountaineering, mountaineers, climbers, you know, seasoned explorers, seasoned climbers, and they've climbed up all sorts of mountains in the past. And, you know, they've run up Ben Nevis, you know, with a cup of soup and a, a bar of chocolate, and it's just been a piece of cake. And they stand in front of Ben Nevis, and they look up to the top, and they say, man, if we're going to encounter this, then we're going to have to take this thing seriously, because this thing could destroy us. This thing could eat us up. What they say is we're going to need to give this thing its place. That's the best way that I can think about explaining God to you. Sometimes I reckon we don't do so good at that. People in church, people like me as Christians, we, we, of, we often can be guilty of saying you should fear God. And we, the kind of the way that we talk about it is, oh, God's going to come after you, going to come and get you. You know, it's, we, we can talk a little bit like that. The reality is that yes, God is coming, but he comes and he is holy, and not holy like, like Ned Flanders off The Simpsons, just like got some good ideas about life and some good habits. He's holy like separate, different, otherworldly, scare you to death kind of holy. It means you've got to change your life kind of holy. 
So we've got to give him his place. That's the first thing. There's some proverbial wisdom in the Bible. And there's all sorts of ways we try and think about how we can be smart and smarter people. And we've got smartphones and you know, all these tech advancements. And the Bible says this. And the Bible says this is you know, one of the cleverest guys ever to walk the earth. King Solomon says that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. You want to get smart, it starts with fear and awe of God. These, these guys on the hillside were just lowly shepherds, but they were well on their way to becoming wise men. First, first thing I want to leave with you, my, my, my Christmas prayer for you, my hope for you, is that you have the most awesome Christmas hazy glowing Christmas day ever. I, you know, I want, fellas, I want you to be able to recline on a couch that's the size of a room and have people throw pigs in blankets into your mouth whilst watching Only Fools and Horses for like four hours and then just, just full of Christmas joys as your loved ones run around opening presents and then the wrapping paper just magically disappears and you get your perfect drink. I, just, I would wish that for you, but more than, more than that, I'd want you to have a moment like the shepherds had on that hillside. Some, sometime after everyone's gone to bed or in the middle, in that just big gap between Christmas and New Year where you don't really ever know what day it is, just in that abyss that you go out in your back garden and you have a moment where you experience something of the awe of God. And it's not really hazy because when God draws near, it's terrifying, but it's the start of a wise journey for you. That's, my, that's the first thing. Get fear in the right place. Second thing, and you've, you're doing awesome, dudes, and it's the last thing, is hopes. We've got, a, we've got a hope, haven't we? We can't not hope. If This is what Thomas Fuller said, a churchman and a historian a few hundred years ago. If it were not for hope, the heart would break. Now, the Proverbs say that hope deferred makes the heart sick. Without hope, we can't cope, can we? We've, we've also got an interest in hope psychology as well. There's, there's so many different facets to a successful life. There's like 101 things that determine our success, and yet when we hope, it's often the case that we just latch on to one or two things, don't we? It's just like, it's just like, like there's just, we've got to eat, we've got to drink, we've got to have a roof over our heads, you, you know, this massive big plethora of things that we've got to do, and yet with hope, we just kind of pin it on a few things. Are our kids going to do well? Are we going to be healthy? You know, like one or two things, and then when they go, we can fall so quickly, can't we? We've got a blackboard um, we keep in our house, and we write the, the most impactive things that we come across on that blackboard, and it's been the same message for the last couple of years. We, we heard, a sermon a couple, heard a sermon about two years ago, and the preacher stood at the front, had this big, odd-looking piece of rope in his hands, and he said, hope is like a rope. And it rhymed, so it got, it got my attention. didn't take much. Hope is like a rope. It matters what it's connected to. All that matters with the hopes in our lives is that it's going to deliver for you. What, what are your hopes in? Let me read to you again what the Bible says that our hopes are, the message that Mary got. Mary, you've found favor with God. You're going to conceive and give birth to a son. You're going to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, 
and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. It's a hazy, distant hope, isn't it? Should I be saying that? But it is. It's a hazy, distant hope. Let me give you another verse that describes the Christian's calling, somebody who's got faith in God. This is found in Colossians uh, 3, 1 to 3, if you're reading along. Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden in Christ with God. So the, this is our hope, that there's a, there's a kingdom that's never going to end and you should live with your head in the clouds, focusing on things that aren't real yet or apparent yet. That is a, and so I'm going to say this, that is a distant, that's a big ask, isn't it? For me to stand there and say, I want, I want you to put your hope in a kingdom that never ends and, and live like the only thing that matters is in, into the future. That is a big ask. And maybe if you, were, if you look around right now, you look around at, at, at me, people like me who, who preach and try and tell you about God, or you look around at other Christians, or maybe even look at church history and you go, I, I hear what you're saying, but that hope's already really distant. I don't know if I, don't know if I can put my faith in that, I don't know if I trust that enough. That thought process, that very thinking pattern is exactly the reason why Christmas is so important because in Christmas it doesn't look at me, it doesn't look at the, Christ, the other Christians around, it focuses on Jesus and it asks us to look at a tangible bit of evidence set back 2,000 years ago in history and it asks you to base all that hope on him. And I want to tell you tonight that I think that's kind of tangible hope. Here's, here's one way I would I'd try and go about explaining it. Has anybody seen the film? You can interact if you want. I, I enjoy a bit of interaction. Dunkirk. You can shout out or you can just go. Oh, awesome. Thank you, son. I think that's a... I might even be an 18. Is it a 12? I think you've seen something else, son. I think we're not seeing that film. This, maybe you know the story of, of Dunkirk. Maybe you know that. There's these... Uh, allied soldiers on the northern, northern borders of France, Dunkirk, and, and so they must have hope. They've got to have, because you just can't lose hope. They must have been thinking, well, maybe I can swim home or whatever else that it was. And in the film, it's kind of beautifully portrayed because they're getting bombed from the, uh, the German Air Force. They just, you know, it just looks so bleak. And then there's this moment in the film on the horizon where you see the little, the small ships, that's what they call them, and the commander looks over with his binoculars. It's a bit of a blighty moment. And his, 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 his assistant's looking up to him. He says, what are you looking at? And he just turns around and he says, hope. That's what it is. That's what the Christian, that's what the Christian has in God. It's this tangible, at Christmas, that's what he has. This tangible sense that something has happened that, that carries enough weight to change all of this. This is the tangible hope. It was written about years before Jesus was born. There was this hope that someday would come. And Jesus comes miraculously into the world and he's, and he's born. And against all the odds and all Herod's anger and his force, he survives and he lives this beautiful, gentle, different, otherworldly life. And he performs miracles and he dies this beautiful death. And it's all wrapped up in this baby that we see at Christmas that changes, I think, changes the way that we can hope about life. Means that you can hope 
in a, about a distant future that might look hazy. It means that you can live, if you like, with your head in the clouds, thinking about beautiful, wonderful things that God can do because of this birth. The Christmas story will reshape you, your personality traits and emotional responses. It puts, it puts your biggest fears in the shadow of an almighty God, and it changes your greatest hopes and dreams. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in him. <laughs>